Today on In the House, we sit down with Michael Crane of Rockwell Insulation and the host of BS and Beer Austin. Michael tells us his story, and we talk about all things Rockwell. We talk about why he started BS and Beer and some of the great topics they cover. Hang on, because it gets a little nerdy. We hope you like this episode. If you do, share it with a friend and give us a five-star rating. Thanks for listening. Welcome to this episode of In the House. Today, we are speaking with Michael Crane of uh, Rockwell Insulation. Michael is also the host of the BS and Beer Austin group, um, which we'll get into. So BS and Beer, of course, is a play on words, meaning bullshit and beer, or building science and beer, or what, what is it? it, it it's, it's building science. Okay, good. But, but we do our fair share of both. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, for sure. I always like to, you know, everyone we get on, I really like to know your history and like where, where did you come from? Where did you grow up? You know, just I want to know your story and how you arrived at where you are today. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of a long story, but I grew up in uh, Mississippi. That's where I was born and raised. Um, you know, it took me a little way. I mean, I guess my first project that I ever did and kind of what kind of fueled my passion for what I do now uh, started when I was in my adolescence, my probably, probably year 12 to year 15 was kind of that kind of prime area where I was doing little side projects with neighbors or helping out with, um, you know, helped out some guys build, you know, decks and um, retaining walls and stuff of that nature. So, you know, shooting a nail gun, driving rebar into the ground, that was fun for me. I enjoyed it from, mm-hmm. from that, that age. Um, somewhere during the whole school process, I kind of lost sight of focus until years later I got, got into uh, building materials, uh, selling metal studs, drywall, um, acoustical ceilings, insulation yeah. packages. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, I was asked to kind of do takeoffs from some smaller guys that, that didn't have time you know they're running sure no problem part of sales cycle you know yeah, yeah. so so i do their takeoffs run it for them and then i guess it was it was 2015 i was ready for that next step up and so a position within my organization came to austin texas we had an open position out here and so i said sign me up yeah. and and so I moved over here with a new challenge. Now I'm not selling metal studs, drywall, everything I've been accustomed to. I'm selling specifically insulation products, yeah. which is a whole beast within itself. Um, and, and then, you know, years go by. I took on a project manager uh, estimator role uh, with a bigger insulator in town just running their commercial division. But we did more than just insulation. We did everything from... Uh, metal framing, acoustical ceilings, storefront systems. So finish outs like Jimmy John's, Chase Banks, office buildings, rehab clinics, stuff like that. I would take on and see those projects through from the estimating to the billing stage. And that was why you were at Rockwell? No, this, this, is, all this is all before. All before. This okay. is all before. All right. Uh, long story short, distribution called me back for a few years and then, um, you know, and distribution's fun. It has its challenges, um, mm-hmm. you know, but you're limited. So um, 
and I, my passion's always been more residential woodworking, uh, the the finer craftsman style of construction. Yeah. And so, actually, I was, I was kind of at a pivotal point in my life before this position kind of crossed my path and where I was like, okay, something's got to be done. I either want, you know, I'm not, not totally happy doing this. Even though this is my history, I'm not totally happy doing this. I want to get into residential construction somehow. And so, and I knew from my contracting, working for somebody was not was not the answer. I wanted to do it for myself, sure, or and go on and do that. And so I was kind of at that pivotal moment, and then this position came up that kind of really tweaks both my passion for residential construction, and then my um, experience in products and assemblies, and kind of puts them into one. And so. So yeah, so that's kind of how I made the leap from just distribution to Rockwell, and in this position, I'm a business development manager. So so I really talk more with architects, builders, contractors on our assemblies, how they work. We look at it from a building side of things, and what makes the most sense for that assembly and application. Yeah. Um, so while you were in the field, I mean, kind of describe. I mean, what what was your role? What what did you do day to day? What 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 was your day looking like? Well, I wore many hats, so yeah. it really depended on the day. Sure, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I get that. So I mean, I like I said, I I did everything from generating the cells to making sure that projects were on sites in a timely manner. Um, you know, I didn't have be, being that I worked for a. a, a a company that this was outside their norm. I didn't have the right infrastructure to be able to fulfill this job correctly. So I didn't have like that superintendent, that gopher role that, that you know is very, very necessary to keep that job going. Otherwise, my job would have been in the office making sure the sales were turning in and cutting POs and making sure job, you know, have some site visits, you know, yeah. making sure jobs going accordingly. Um, but no, is uh, when I got a job, I was all hands on and pretty much going. So my my sales track looked like a you know mountain range, you know. Right. right. <laughs> so how did your like what what did you do in the field? I guess that kind of helped the the sales in. I mean, besides uh, experience, there's nothing in the field that helped my sales except for me getting the job done and proving to the GC that I was working for that I could do a job correctly. Yeah. Yeah, if that makes sense. Hmm. Um. You know, I like clean jobs. Other than that, you know, that's not that's usually who I like to work for, guys who kept their job sites clean. Yeah. Where'd, where'd you go to school? So I went to, uh, I graduated from Mississippi College. Okay. Uh, I went to Ole Miss for a little bit. Um, knew I wasn't going to graduate from there. It's too much fun, too many distractions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so but, but graduated from Mississippi College and... Um, yeah, that's that's. that's what, what brought you to Austin? I mean, you, it was, was it just work. It's work, an opportunity to you know a new career challenge. Really, did you have family that you brought along with you? Did you kind of? Well, we came on our own. Uh, my parents followed for a little bit, and then decided that they were going to go on. Then they're building a house in Florida. So okay, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Florida's uh, Florida's growing. It's popular. Well, let's. Uh, I'm I'm interested to hear more about this BS and beer. Um, we were kind of talking about that before you know before we started the episode. Um, that that you really sponsor this event basically just it's just you. I mean, 
Um, so why, you know, what's the reasoning? What's the why behind doing this event? Well, the why, I guess it really started, I mean, it really kind of goes back to, I guess, my interest in building science. Yeah. It goes back years before I even started it. You know, and understanding, you know, I was selling insulation products here in Austin to people like um, Risinger and Rouser Construction and some others. I think y'all even bought some rock wool from me mm -hmm. from time to time. Um, and, and, you know, just kind of going, you know, because I always grew, you know, going up in commercial, you, you, you know the brand rock wool. Mm -hmm. You know where it come from, you know, fire and sound in a commercial world. That's usually the two common uh -huh. attributes of rock wool that that drives that that price tag but i don't know price tag that that um the the need for that the that product depending mm -hmm. on the application if it's a sound wall you know just need the privacy or if it's a demising wall for fire fire um reasonings as well um so um but but digging into the residential side you know then you dig into more different attributes that the product offers um you know it's hydrophobic water just sheds off it like off a duck's back and i'm going in a round circle way here uh but you know just understanding the product itself and how it's really what kind of attracted me to it and attracted me to other products and assembly designs and so but really got my head turning on how walls work how things work you know how does this this product worked with this product to create a superior system. So my head was already turning into kind of a building science direction. And then I got asked, I forgot where I was, I think I was on Travis Brungart's job site up in Kansas City, Missouri. And Travis and Joe, of course, run the BS and Beer chapter in Kansas City. And mm -hmm. Travis, I mean, we just had some discussions. And Travis was like, Michael, you need a BS and Beer chapter in Austin and you're going to run it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You see, I'm a rock wall rep. <laughs> you want me to run this building science? And he's like, yeah, Michael, this is easy. Just keep it conceptual. Mm -hmm. And I was like, it's like, okay, okay, all right, um, yeah, okay. You know, and I didn't know for for the longest time. I'm, you know, I guess is is it was uh, February of twenty two at IBS in Orlando. You know, sat down with him and some other of the BS and beer uh, leads throughout the nation, and we were just talking and and for a few months I just sat on it until I think it was about April. I said, "All right, let's do this." Yeah. And so, of course, I knew Matt uh, Risinger, so I called him. I said, "Hey, Matt, I'm looking at doing this, this, and this. I need a place to host that You got any recommendations?" And of course, he was like, "Dude, my office is open. Just." Hosted there. Nice. And so our first meeting was at Risinger Build's office here in Austin, and it had a great turnout. And uh, from there, we just continued. And as we went on, it got a little bit easier for me to come up with topics that kept top of mind. I have guest speakers on. We have a great building science, building you know quality builders in this area. And so you know, I've had. People like Luke Mesker on talking about Project Management 101, which, you know, goes hand-in-hand hand with building science. If you can't implement it, it doesn't matter. And so project yeah. management goes hand-in-hand hand with that, in my opinion. And so some architects, we had a kind of a crash course earlier this year in architecture school and kind of what goes into that. Yeah. Uh, you know, as well as architects 
you know, when they have a need to bring the builder in and need insight from the builder, you know. And so, you know, just really good um, topics that coincide with building science. And we can get into the four control layers and, you know, what this means and stuff like that. But, you know, to me, it's good to make a good ground basis on just topics that are, you know, we, we don't really think about as being building science and running a job. And so that's that's kind of where my focus has been kind of this year is that a little bit. You know, I've had people like Nikki, Nikki Kruger with... Um, yeah, I'm uh, familiar with her. Yeah, she's came in. She's done a, uh, a presentation for us. Because um, she's with uh, Santa Fe Dehumidifiers? That's correct. Yeah. She's with Santa Fe. Thank you. Yeah, she's with Santa Fe. We've done a WRB showdown where we represented... <laughs> Every everything from building wraps to pillin sticks to fluid applied and then I had Zip come in and they kind of put on the event there. And so and it is a really good that was a really good one. I actually who had won. To, yeah, that's who won. Oh man, let's just go Hoover on that one. Uh I think most of my builders do like Hoover. A lot of you know, I was hoping to have some speakers for the pillin stick and the the fluid applied, but I couldn't get anybody, so I had to cover those two topics. So, well, what product did you use for uh, for a fluid applied? Do you remember? Fluid applied, I based it off of Prosico. One of my builders up in Abilene uses Prosico. It's okay. his uh, yeah. everyday. Um, uh, like Cat Five or whatever. Yeah, I think it's this Cat the Cat Five that he uses. Yeah. That's a pretty bomber uh, a, product. It's a great product. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay, so we kind of got into the why, but. If you could kind of give a short explanation of like what what is it like what is okay. when somebody hears BS and beer like what is it? Well, uh, it it is a it's a group it's a monthly meetup. Um, uh, you know we we have probably about anywhere from twenty five to I'd say sixty uh, people that show up every month. It's very laid back yeah. atmosphere. Grab a beer sit down table, network and meet some people. But it's a great networking opportunity for yeah. people that um, want the more, I guess, the, the higher um, higher end performance out of buildings and that kind of construction style to get together, meet, and network for people. The one thing to me it stands out for, if I could use one word, is, is it's a community. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen so many Dagum connections made through just the meetup and hearing those stories of oh yeah I was talking to such and such we're doing a project together this and that and I'm like that's awesome that's yeah. all I could ever want you know I love connecting people with people so so you you said there's multiple chapters across the across the nation right I mean how, yeah. how many are there Ooh, they're they're popping up every day one one in every state uh, multiple in every state multiple or? I mean we just uh, Few few months ago, we started uh, BS and Beer up in Dallas. Dallas. Okay. Uh, we had BS and Beer in Houston. Uh, I think I did see that. Yeah, there was yeah. anyone. I mean, how long has BS and Beer Austin been around? It's relatively new, isn't it? A couple of years, maybe. Uh, yep. Yeah, we'll you be. Say it sounds like two years. You <laughs> yeah. Started. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Be two years in May. So. Okay. So about awesome. a year, just over a year and a half, I'd say. Okay. Yeah. And when and where do you have them? Well, that's, that's been the fun part is so the place we, we used to have like friends and allies, friends and allies had to close down. Uh, it's a shame. Um, so we're actually kind of in the middle of finding a new place and I'm 
been kind of hesitant on pulling the trigger on one. Uh, the taproom manager, I know he's working on a new spot that that could be our home down the down the road. So, but it's all going to depend on the location on what what that ends up with. I need to touch. Actually, that reminds me, I need to touch base with them, find out. Um, you know. I think probably next one, which will probably be our last year, uh, since this, this month's so crazy with FiusCon going on, as well as uh, Thanksgiving and the holidays, we'll probably just do something. Uh, first of December, maybe okay. at the Brutorium, show up at the Brutorium, something like that. Okay. And, I mean, is, it, is this an event just for builders and and architects i mean what's what's the market who are we looking to get involved with just anybody who wants to learn about building science or really anybody yeah Yeah. i mean we've had everybody you know i'd like to see some more trades uh come in uh we have had roofers we have uh, uh some woodworkers that come to it um you know people like that have come you know for the networking aspect sure you know and so people that they're not accustomed to. It's definitely a good place to host that. I mean, just, I mean you throw a rock around here, you'll, you'll hit a builder or a contractor or an architect. Right. So how do I track BS and beer? How do yeah. I follow to figure yes. out where your next one is? So, so, so I usually communicate on two channels. One, I have an email list that I just shoot out. And so that's what I encourage people because I, you know, I, I put all the details in on that. I try to mimic the same on Instagram. Um, sometimes I'm good, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. So, so I urge people to get on my email list. What What is that email? It's uh, bsbeeratx at gmail.com. bsbeeratx at gmail.com. That's it. The cool. and symbol or A-N-D? A-N-D. Thank you for clarifying. Cool. Yeah, no, I definitely uh, I want to put that out there. Uh, and I'll also include a link like in the description of this episode so anybody yeah. listening can go and find that. Um, yeah, like, like I was saying, I know you just had one uh, with Daniel Glauser. Uh, is that, am I pronouncing that right? Yeah. Is, yeah. It, is it Glauser? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you just had one at his house because um, he's renovating his house and he's doing a, a whole passive house. Um, and I really wanted to make it that one, but I, but I couldn't. Um, so... What type of things do you do you cover? I know you, we kind of alluded to that earlier, but what type of things do you cover in a BS and beer uh, little get together? What do y'all What do y'all talk about? Well, I mean, it just depends. It really sure. depends on the topic that we're trying to, to hammer home. The past couple of months, we've been hammering in passive house to to rise awareness for FiusCon in Houston. That will be next week. What is What is FiusCon? FiusCon is Passive House Institute U.S. Or the okay. United States, the United States versions of um, the Pass House Passive House Institute. Okay. So FIAS uh, national organization. Um, they they kind of the the difference between them and PHI is they they um, way I understand it is they kind of climatize performance metrics. Okay. So that way, if you're in a hot, humid climate like we are here, or Houston. You know, you're not putting X amount of insulation on your product. You know, it, it, it's, it's tailored to your climate. It's tailored to thank you. Yes, yes. it's tailored to your climate. Okay, uh, you said you have uh, speakers come. Like who? Who have you had? 
Uh, so Nikki Kruger was one. Okay. I've had you know guest speakers within um, Andrew Seeley from G Pods America. He does offsite construction, modular kind of modular mix. Uh, he's got a pro- project going on outside of San Antonio. Um, like I said, I've had Miguel Walker. He's given a uh, well, he's with Positive Energy. He's done a sole topic of passive house and what it is, and, mm. and um, you know, kind of demythize the the whole passive house movement. You know, you know it says. So I think the the catch line we used on that one was the problem with passive house is that. Nobody really understands it, and so, <laughs> so yeah. that's what we, yeah, yeah. you know. He came in and kind of gave all the nuts and bolts behind passive house. Can't explain but, what it is. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Uh, Oren Metzner with Barley Pfeiffer. He gave us a review of the architect and the need for for um, the uh, when when to bring a contractor in to to make sure that you know because as an architect, he he says there, there's a lot of cool products out there. Yeah. Um, but if I specify in a detail and it's not feasible in the, this area, then what good is it? So I need that kind of input from a builder perspective going, hey, um, I can only get that if I'm in Switzerland, here in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. So, so if, if you're an architect or, or a designer, like what, what kind of things could you, could you learn from, from this kind of event? I mean, we get into wall assembly types, you know, we, we talk about vapor control layers, um, uh, our WRBs, you know, and which, what makes sense and what doesn't. Um, there, there's a lot architects get out of it um, as far as the, that they can implement into their design as far as like, you know, it could be, you know, when we get into protecting our walls, it could be large overhangs. I mean, mm-hmm. what we've been doing for years we put overhangs on. Yeah. But the new trend you see is these eveless. Yeah. No overhangs. No that is yeah. very dangerous to a wall assembly. You know, and then you get into like passive house. You know, passive house is 100% the design side because you got to make sure your window to wall ratio is on point. And, and, you know, other kind of metrics that you need a lot of, um, you know, it caters to the design side. So. Yeah. So we keep throwing this term around passive house. So maybe there's some listeners who might not totally understand what, what passive house is. I mean, do you have like a brief rundown of, of, or a description of like what, it, what is so, a passive house? So passive house is, a, well, in our country, it's yeah. a voluntary standard. And it's probably the highest standard you can meet when building a home. So As far as? As far as... Um, Energy consumption. Energy consumption. So yeah, so you're you're going beyond zero energy. You are uh, your your home works for you pretty much, and not only that, you've got a very tight home. So the the standard is, I think, 0.6 air changes per hour at mm. Pascal fifty and below. What's code? Isn't code code like three or five? Three, yeah, I think it's five. <laughs> Something like. I, think, I think code is five. I think it's five. Really I know some areas is three. I think it's three here, yeah, citywide. <laughs> I think City the bar is pretty low here <laughs> in City Boston. So, so yeah, again, I don't know if I can explain it very well, but like a three ACH is meaning it's three air changes per hour, which means the air in your home is, is essentially replaced three times per hour. Yes. Um, so, and then they have it up to as high as five ACH, meaning again, 
all the air in your home is replaced five times in one hour. So basically, it's it's a measurement of, of the leakiness or, you know, how much air is, is getting into your house. So, you know, again, if the... If the bar is is set, you know, per code at three ACH, passive house is you said 0. 0.6 or below. 0. 0.6 or below. Yeah, that's it's, pretty wild. It's a very so that's tight a house. Very airtight. Yeah, very tight. Higher end, uh, you know, ERVs opposed to traditional HVAC systems. Um, Tiny yeah. vent hood, no fireplace. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Tri- triple pane windows. Yeah. yeah. Well, PHI is triple pane. I think you can get away with double pane. Okay. Yeah. With Fias, I think I believe I read that. I could be totally wrong. I don't know everything to know about passive house by any sure. means. Yeah. 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 No, <laughs> me, me neither. I'm just just from what I uh, gathered, but you know, just by reading, but. Um, yeah, so passive house and net zero are those kind of one and the same, or is it no. those are completely different? Two different. Okay, so, so net zero is a step below. Um, usually, net zero can be met with um, just your hers rater, really. Um, passive house, you have to have a consult, the CPHC consultant, uh, to do everything. You're you're doing Wolfie analysis, which is your your analysis of your wall assembly. Um, there's a lot that goes into it, and it's got a higher price tag, of course. Sure. Um, but net zero is good too. I like net zero as well. So, I mean, you can build a passive house, you know, essentially on your own. It, it doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to have somebody come in and, and necessarily document it or inspect it to, to qualify, right, as a passive house or. Well, there's no. functionality and certification. Yeah, yeah. You could build a passive house and it would be passive in operation, but it might not be certified if you did it on your own. Then there's yes, this correct. path of having the consultants and following the paper trail that yeah. certifies a passive house. So one can be, but it doesn't necessarily need to be both. Sure. Correct. And, and I, I have, I've, had, I've dealt with people that they said, hey, I'm building to passive house standard, mm-hmm. but I'm not getting certified. Right. And so there is those qualifications. I think down the road what we're going to see is we're going to see appraisers and realtors valuing houses based on these type qualifications. And so if it is certified, well, your value's gone up. But if you don't have the paperwork to prove it, then it don't mean anything. And so, you know, I know that's kind of why I was at a conference um, Earlier this early in October in Denver, and it's a passive house network. Um, and uh, the city of Denver, city of Boulder, gave a presentation. I think it's the city of Boulder, as well as their energy, the energy company they use, much like we do with Austin Energy here for rebates. You know what what happened during the Boulder, the Marshall Fire is, you know, all those fire, all those houses that were damaged during that fire were underinsured. People were you know, under by six figures plus that, uh-huh. that the insurance companies wouldn't pay. So the city or the county and the energy company came up with a program to get them rebate incentives through by building to certain standards, passive house, net zero or two that they could get really good comps back. So, you know, through that energy program, if they built to that standard. And so and they also adopted the 2021 code. Oh, okay. So, 
Did any of y'all want this this last beer? Adrian, are you good? I, I mean, if what are you gonna do? <laughs> I'll split it with you. Split it with me? I'll split it okay. with you. All right, that's fine. I suck these down like water, man. I know. I should have got a 12. What's wrong with me? Uh, well, so <clears throat> what? Um, that's probably super loud. Sorry about that. Uh, what? What resources? I guess if you're a, if you're a builder, um, what what resources might be available to you if you're wanting to learn more about not just passive house, but um, maybe just building science in general. Yeah. And and how might you go about improving your the quality of your of your home? Like you know, what what resources are there out there? Well, I mean, I tell you, uh, Dr. Joe Stebrook, I mean, he, he's, he's amazing in the sense that, you know, the, the Building Science Corp has a lot of documents that you can just Google online. I've got three of his books at home just on different climate zones. I've got the hot, humid climate. i got the mixed humid. i got the mixed and hot, dry climate. You know, any climate that, that my region may encompass because I've got a pretty big region. So... Any, any region I need, I need to know so I have a resource for that that specific region. Uh, I recommend that that source. I recommend um, Green Building Advisor. has some great blogs and entries about some of the top industry professionals. Um, um, I like just, I like fine home building. They, they, they put mm-hmm. out like, I think last month or a month before, they actually put out a, 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 a an article on passive house or a passive house build. Yeah, yeah. Um, Fine home building is a great one. JLC is a great one. Yep. Um, you know, just a, a lot of just stuff like that. Publications like that. And of course, BS and Beer is another. BS great. and Beer. Get involved with your local BS <laughs> and Beer group, of course. Yeah. Um, so there's all kinds of, I guess, communities, um, uh, literature. You know, this day and age, there's, I mean, there's just a ton out there. Yeah. There's so a ton out if, there. if I'm considering building mm-hmm. and I'm either going to build an, an active lazy house, call it, and, okay. and the passive house. Okay. Active lazy house. Got it. Is, is there, <laughs> is there a bit of a metric as to, okay, a passive house is going to be two or three times more the cost than a, a traditional house? I don't know if that metric exists. Well, and it's a two-part question. I've got to follow up. Yes and no. Because, I mean, really, the definition behind passive house is to make a house, housing affordable. As a, If you look up on Passive House, their website, that's it's affordability. Um, so even though, yes, you have to go and you do have to pay for certifications and stuff like that, it's meant to be affordable. Now, that, that affordability cost is not going to be up front. Right, there's a lot of upfront costs. There's a lot of I mean, if you look at the life cycle of a home, your maintenance and operating costs far exceed what your original price tag are. But a a passive house doesn't have no maintenance. Exactly. So so you're going to... has a higher maintenance. So so you're actually going to see a reduction over the life cycle of the house rather than that lesser house up front so it depends it's it's kind of like investment so you put your money here and let it sit and grow or do you just put it in a bank account and just let it not earn anything you know (laughs) where's that money 
how do you make it back? Where do you, where do you make it back at? Just, you just, make it on the savings from the, uti- the, the, the utility, utility, the utility yeah. savings. Does passive have, so that's just, so that has to do with like heating, yep. right? Uh, and, and cooling. So you're, you're talking about electrical use, maybe even natural gas. Or, or propane, but what about water? Is there a focus on like reducing your water consumption? Because I mean, you that- could. I mean, some people even go look into water containment. I know there's a builder that I met at a net zero conference out of Bernie, and he he builds water containment sites and usually stocks about two year supply of water on site for his clients. Well, yeah, he's in Bernie. He's in Bernie. <laughs> okay, fair, fair. <laughs> but that's clever, and that's yeah. right. That's neat. I just didn't know if there was any, you know, when it came to passive house uh, standards, if there was anything that, that had to do with water consumption. You know, if there was a standard for, you know, using like low flow fixtures or something like that, or even. Well, I'm sure that's part of it too. Okay. You know, how much you use. We talk about it like an energy consumption standpoint, yeah. but I was just curious about like water consumption as well. Yeah. Um, did you ask the second part so, of the question? Well, yes. I, I, I'm not sure actually, but now, <laughs> I, now I'm just curious. <laughs> that the, the energy required to run a dehumidifier and a heat exchanger is cheaper than just positively pressurizing a house with extra AC. And I'm curious on a devil's advocate perspective from builders who do it and so wonder, all right, how does this play out in the long run? That's a good question, actually. Um, I, I would think so. I mean, I think if you could, because, I mean, it's about the combination of the whole assembly. So, like, if we're, if we're tightening our house down to this, well, guess what? One, we can reduce the size of that unit. We don't need a huge H, HVAC unit to run the house. We can do it off an ERV mm-hmm. and do you, sure. you know, and, and, and so, so you have to look at it from that aspect too, um, you know, because if, if you have an oversized unit in any structure, well, guess what? It's just going to short cycle and not do any good. And then you're going to have comfort issues. Yep. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not as keen on the mechanical side, but I do know that. <laughs> so I don't know if that's answering your question. I don't well, it does, and ultimately, I think the, the effectiveness of a passive house comes down to the quality of the installation of all those products. Agreed. Uh, and time and time again in our industry, I think we see that you know, 99, 98% of the products that are out there are good and solid, but the installation of said products is usually way below what it should be. Yeah, Agreed. Absolutely. Agreed. Uh, I agree 100% on that. And so, and I, I feel like you know, if there's one area that that is probably the weakest in our industry is the installation, mm-hmm. and that's across all spectrums. Yep. Yeah, so. it seems like what would be very beneficial, like like you kind of mentioned earlier, you'd like to see more trades, more people actually doing the work and installing at these events like BS yeah. and Beer. Um, so maybe we can come up with like an incentive, you know, incentive yeah. program to get some of these these trades involved in higher education, quote unquote. That's right. you know. It, well, they, I think I think they've also got to want to. You know, yeah, I understand. Well, that's why I say incentive. You know, <laughs> you know, because you got you got you got guys that have 
pridefulness that, and have an eagerness to learn. And usually those guys, you don't have a problem bringing them something like that. Absolutely. You just mention it. And then you got the, the guys that are like, ah, I've been doing it this way for X amount of years. They have no drive to learn. They have no drive. You know, and, and the last thing they want to do is come to a an event and they're told they're doing it. They've been doing it wrong for 10, 20 years, 30 yeah. years, however many, you know, yeah. that's the last thing they want to do too. Cause I mean, I mean, I, I look at things that I've done though, that I look back and I'm going, God bless. What was I thinking? <laughs> yeah. no, absolutely. <laughs> you know, but that, I guess it's how, that, that part of it's how you learn, you know, you, yeah. you, you, sometimes you have to make those kind of hard mistakes or sometimes they're very simple and it's just like, God bless. Okay, note to self, don't do that again. <laughs> we, just, we, we talk about it a lot. We kind of allude to it a lot on this podcast, but it's it's this attitude of excellence. Yeah. You know, you, you have to have that attitude of, you know, one, a, a willingness to receive constructive constructive criticism and being able to, to learn um, and, and kind of this attitude of, you know, you don't know everything. You might have been doing this for... 15, right. 20 years, but, you know, the industry is constantly changing. There's always new yep. products and new methods and, and new people. And so you kind of have to roll with punches a little bit, but you have to have this willingness to learn and you can't be so proud, you know, and look at yourself and say, you know, how, how can I do better? Right. Um, I, I had another question I didn't want to forget, but going back to the whole passive house thing, I guess a, another thing that could really set your project up for success is maybe partnering up with an architect who's familiar with Passive House. Yes. Uh, I don't know how many of them are out there, but um, it seems like having an architect on your side who really understands the the standards and and the detailing that's involved, because I've seen some pretty creative projects where, you know, they take into account the... um, you know the position of the sun right and how it changes you know during the summer uh, months and the winter months and so they orient the house i saw this really cool one and i and i can't for the life of me remember the uh the designer but they had this like a rammed earth wall in, in kind of the core of the house and they had these really large windows which i don't think is is um uh, very common among <laughs> among passive house it's, it's not but the purpose of that was that uh, it allowed the sun in during the morning and so that wall uh, was warmed in in the sun and at night when it cooled off yeah. the the wall radiated heat yeah. so it became the the heat source for the whole house and it was so well insulated that you didn't need to run the heater because right. that wall stored all that thermal energy yeah. and then at night when there was no sun it, it radiated that heat back out into the house that's that's really cool and that yeah. was super yeah. creative that's, and that's really like creative. top that, you know? that is crazy the, the mass wall is amazing yeah so you know it you know that's why i tell people you know we sometimes get into the mass wall topic even here i'm like I, I don't know how it would do here in austin because you know when it's hot out in the summer, guess what? In the night, it's still hot. It's still hot. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you want that wall radiating heat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, but I, I think if it's done correctly, it works the opposite way. It's it's a thermal battery. Right. Is ultimately yeah. what it is. And mm-hmm. so here, I, I'm a huge fan of uh, interior stone. And as you know, Lonnie, yeah, I've got a too. bunch of stone in my yeah. house. Yeah. Uh, it we cool it down at night, and then yeah. that thermal mass of the stone all day long, it, it's hard to heat the house up even in the summer. 
So that's good. But I think to go back to your question though, Lonnie, it's it's not just the architect. It's it's every person who's yes. involved. It has yeah. to be the, yeah. the client. It has to be the architect. It has to be the the builder, contractor, yep. and all the trades. Yes. Everybody's got to buy into the passive house. No, yeah. you're right. And I, I think that's right. And there there is a large architect community that is passive house. We even have them here here in Austin. So. Uh, Trey Farmer Forgecraft is one of them, um, probably one of the most knowledgeable ones that I know. Um, Josh Ledger that works for them, they're they're one of the best firms here in Austin that uh, at least I know of for passive house. Yeah, that's, uh, that's I could be missing some, but that's the ones that I know. I'm a big fan of Forgecraft. Yeah, um, I'm familiar with them. Um, well, kind of a a more broad topic uh, and kind of a larger question, but you know, when you reflect back on your career and, and you kind of look into the future, how do you think the industry has changed over the years, whether that be good or bad changes? The industry, I mean, to be honest, it, it's really tough because, I mean, we want to put all, you know, we want to point a finger and go, this is, this is the number one problem. You know, let's say, let's call it a tradesman not taking passion in his work and being prideful and, and doing the best he can and it being okay. But I also believe that's part on the builder for not stepping up and saying, this is not okay. This is not substantial. This is not good work and calling them out. Um, and I think that's been through a, a variety of, you know, um, time periods that we've had where, where some builders have felt that they've been handicapped to the industry mm-hmm. um, to, or, or to their trades and you know not really demanded that um, you know I feel like um, that it's it's overcome but the, the talent pool does you know I hear that a lot the talent pool is not but but then I see you know a young generation that, that comes to like my BS and peers that wants to learn uh, and I'm going, well, maybe we're missing something there. Maybe it's not on them. Maybe it was just, maybe we're not educated enough. Maybe we're not taking it, you know. One of my members that comes, he's um, he's from Australia, and he's telling me, you know, in Australia they go through a master apprentice program. Mm-hmm. And I'm really a fan of that, and I think it should be implemented in such a way here um, and, and I think within certain construction companies, it is implemented uh-huh. to a certain degree. But gosh, it's just a huge testament. So I don't know if there's really a, are we going in the right way? Yes. If we're going in the wrong way, no. I, I don't. I don't. I don't know if there's a clear cut answer there from my perspective. Um, you know, I see a lot. I do see a lot of shortcuts taken in the field uh, yeah. on certain houses. But then again, I also get to see some of the best houses I've ever seen in the world through some amazing builders, amazing architects. Uh, I'm fortunate in my job that I get to, I am lucky to go on some of these job sites that are just, will blow your mind. And I know y'all, y'all do some amazing projects along, but some of these projects I get to go on are amazing as well. And so, you know, there's a great group of builders and architects and craftsmen in this town. We are very lucky to well, see. Well, it's not just this town. I cover I cover Alabama to 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 here in Oklahoma. So, and I get to see some. You know, I've met I met uh, 
man, a builder in Mississippi that just blew my mind going, you did what? (laughs) (laughs) And and just some beautiful work. I I was in Baton Rouge last week and I got to tour some amazing homes in Baton Rouge. Uh, Just gorgeous, kind of that combination of the Southern French charm, Mm -hmm. you know, and so, and uh, they just, I mean, just some amazing things. So you have pockets everywhere, these builders that just do amazing work. But yeah, no, Austin is full of a lot of them. Mm-hmm. That's a huge territory. It is a, it's, it's, it's a little bit large. <laughs> I don't go to, you know, my, my focus is mainly here in Texas. So I'm usually here between Houston, Dallas, and Austin uh, most of the year. But I do take a trip to Louisiana and out northern Alabama uh, about twice a year. Nice. Yeah. yeah, well, enough about building science. Yeah. What do you do for fun outside of work? Outside of work. Well, that's a limited situation. <laughs> yeah, so well, with you... three kids, it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, so I have three kids. I have a 15, a 12, and a one that's about to be five here in January. So, nice. Nice. so you know, they keep me busy. I yeah. love watching them play soccer. Um, they are... They, 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 they love soccer, and um, so so that's really what takes a lot of my time. Absolutely. I guess if, if I'd had more time on top of that, I would probably be in a lake fishing somewhere. Nice. So, Seriously. <laughs> so, yeah. That's always my stress reliever growing up was fishing. fishing. So. Really? Like what, what type? Fly fishing? Or you just, oh, you I like, love fly yeah. fishing. Yeah? Yeah. I'd go fly fishing when I was in Mississippi College. I uh, just had a fly rod in the back of my truck all times. Uh, but any, I'd, I'd go, you know, um, just regular bass fishing. But, but yeah, fly fishing is fun. Well, you're in Texas. You like shooting guns? You like hunting? I do. And... I, do. <laughs> I do. I do. I've yeah. got, got quite, quite the... Or you know, collect, collection yeah. myself, and so I don't, you know, I don't get shooting, get to shoot enough either. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those admiration type deals. Oh yeah, that's a nice gun. Yeah. Nice shoot that sometime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm right there with you. I kind of started my, my own collection, and it's hard. Yeah, because I mean, I just got a scope on mine. You just got a scope. You got a night vision scope. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> got pigs to murder. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, that's cool. So you said, what, what ages are your kids? 15 and 12 and 5. 12 and 5. Took a little break there after the yeah, second one. Took a little break. Yeah, took a little break. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. <laughs> All boys, girls? Uh, two girls and a boy. Nice. Uh, my middle one's the boy. Nice. Oh, yeah, he's going to love life. So, yeah. Sister above and below him. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. cool, though. That's a good yeah. family. That's a good mix. <laughs> So 15, about ready to drive. That's what she thinks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how, how, uh, that, how are the teenagers going? Uh, I, I got I got my five-year-old is uh, my daughter. She's five, and I'm enjoying every minute of it. Um, you know those younger years, and I'm yeah. You know, you always get the horror stories about teenagers. Yeah. Uh, so. Well, no, it. She's good, and, and you know if. if you know, the highways that I live by in Georgetown are insane. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. scares me the most. Yeah. It's not really her driving. It's everybody else. It's everybody else. Um, you know, and, um, you know, if I could find that perfect tank, <laughs> yeah, that's probably what I'd want to tell yeah. our first car. Just get a tank. Yeah, anyway. man, I don't blame you. That scares me. You know, so. I'll never forget when I was 13, I asked my dad, I said, hey, dad. When I turned 16, what kind of car am I going to get? And he said, 
whatever the hell you can afford. <laughs> yep. So I've said that too. Daughter's a little different though. Daughter, daughter. You oh take yeah. Care of the I tell my son he's the dreamer. He's like, oh yeah, turn. You gonna give me a Lambo for for my sixteenth? And I'm like. Yeah, maybe a die cast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Maybe a Hot Wheels. Or, yeah. Golly. <clears throat> well, Michael, uh, another question. Do, do uh, people confuse you a lot with uh, Michael Caine? Yeah. I, <laughs> I actually have never gotten that. I thought really? I'd get more. Dude, that, yeah. I, we were just talking beforehand. Like we kept, I kept thinking Michael <laughs> Michael Caine, Michael Caine. Uh, and I was like, I had to remind myself, like, no, it's Michael Crane. Yeah. So, that's <laughs> interesting. It, it doesn't, you know, happen all that often. Yeah. Can, can we talk Rockwell? You can talk whatever the heck you want. Is yeah. that all right? Yeah, we can talk about uh, You had said something earlier that kind of piqued my curiosity from okay. just nerdy science building part of it. Okay. Uh, you said it was hydrophobic. Yep. A, a particular product in, in in specific or kind of like the rock wool material itself? Uh, all of our products are hydrophobic. Really? Yeah. So if it sits in water, let's say it's in the wall cavity, the assembly, and it's sitting in water, what happens to it? So now that's a little bit different situation. You've got like kind of a, you know, it's kind of forced into a water situation. Mm-hmm. Where it's kind of forced, it's not absorbing it. Well, it is kind of. So if you well, it's imagine, it's imagine a rock in a stream, and you it's in the stream. You pull it out. Well, that rock is wet. It's dark. Yeah. It's got water. You lay it on the side. Well, guess what? Thirty minutes, an hour go by. It's dry. Well, our product's the same way. Once that water's removed, it still has the ability to drop, and it still has that performance that did before. You don't lose. You don't get any degradation from being subjected to that. So let's back up. The The reason why, it goes back to the name rock wool. Correct. So this insulation is actually made from rocks. Thank you for clarifying. Okay. Yes, yes. As name sakes, it yeah. comes from basalt stone, which okay. is volcanic rock. And uh, and so it's, uh, yeah, it's made from rock. And so we, rock wool really kind of harnesses the, the attributes that rocks have, you know, and that's one of the things that kind of drew me towards, towards rock wool was, you know, is, you know, if you look back, you know, the most documented construction product of all time is rock, stone. Yeah. It comes from stone. And so, but yes, it's hydrophobic, so in a leak situation where it's leaking down the wall, it's just going to drain right down it, or like if it's on the exterior of a building, it's going to be a rain screen. It's going to run right down the product. Right, because y'all and, do y'all do have exterior insulation products. Correct. You don't just have products that you stuff in a wall cavity. You actually have products that go on the exterior side of a building that could be part of the rain screen assembly. Correct. That's correct. Yeah. Correct. And it's it's, it's one of my favorite um, uh, wall assembly designs because you're putting a product on there that acts as a whole nother drainage plane. Mm-hmm. And it's taking a lot of load off your WRB. Mm. And so, you know, if you have a WRB, say, say you've got, um, say, say your framer's not the best at taping, you get a fish mouth right there in your tape seams or something like that, you know, if, and, and you have board and batten on the outside of your cladding, well, anything gets behind that board and batten, well, that fish mouth is just susceptible to have that water just congregate right there. 
guess what? Over time of water getting back there, it's just going to continue building itself down and down and down until it's inside the cavity. Um, by putting rock wool on the outside, you are offering a drainage plane there. Mm-hmm. It's less, even more or less likely for any kind of water to even get to the face of that WRB where a, a fish mouth would be likely or reverse shingling or whatever. Yeah. You know, um, or overdriven fasteners, you know, the, you know, that would be there. So it's very helpful in those, that, that circumstance, you know, flooding, flooding rock wool still stands. If it's a flood, flood water situation to replace it. Um, you know, that's just their standpoint on it. It's don't know what, especially in a cavity, you don't know what kind of bacteria is in the water. So it's going to act like an air filter. It's just going to grab everything that's Exactly. The survivor's product, right? Yeah. And so, if you don't mind, can you explain it? Did you say basalt rock? Yeah. Basalt How does stuff. that go from rock to the material? So so a bunch of crushers, uh, and then we put in a furnace and pretty much heat it up into lava. And so we take it from a liquid state. We spin around like in a giant cotton candy machine. What did you say you're making cotton candy you're out of rocks. Cotton candy <laughs> this out is of rocks. Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it, bre- it creates these fibers, and then we just lay it all down on a big pendulum. It goes in, and then we we lay it on top of each other in a manner that gives it more dimensional stability, kind mm-hmm. of cross stability, and then we push it down, push it down with some uh, to make it more dense, depending on what product. So less dense is going to be our bat products. More density is going to be, you know, like our Comfort Board 80 for the exterior wall. And then we have some even higher density products, like our top rock products, that you can literally drive a, a semi on top of and it not even affect it. Oh, wow. Is it recyclable? Could you take the old rock wool and heat it back up, stick it in the oven, and remake it? In theory, you could. And in Europe, you can. So in Europe, there they have a recycling program for rock wool that comes out of... Um, um, old buildings. In fact, our oldest to date that we had, I think it just happened this year, I was reading an article, uh, a contractor was uh, doing a renovation for a hangar in Denmark at the Copenhagen airport and uh, took out an 85-year-old piece of rock wall out of the building, sent it back to our labs, and they tested it, and it tested you know, off the charts like the same it was for day one, mm-hmm. 85 years later. So, huge testament to the durability of the product. Why only Europe? Do what? Why only Europe? Their train system's better, and they have more factories. Okay. So, it's a little bit easier. Where in the U.S. now, we only have two factories. Our transit, our train system's not the best to do that here. Okay. So, it's... It's, it will be in the works at some point. It's just I, not I don't think our construction industry here has a mentality enough to no. recycle. You know, and I, I think you're right on that part. I mean, the heck, is sometimes I'll say rock wool and they'll say, what? Uh, <laughs> so much less going, oh, this is rock wool and he's sending it back to the plant. But, but it also goes so. back to cost in Europe. Sending something to a landfill is expensive because the landfill is expensive. Here, we've got so much land, it's like, ah, it's cheap. Just That's get true. rid of it. Throw it away. But at some point, Fair that'll enough. go away. It needs to. Yep. Eventually it will. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that was neat stuff. I appreciate that because yeah. I, I actually didn't know how it was made. Well, in the uh, south also, uh, it's termite resistant too. So it's huge for our area. Yeah. 
you know, that's one one attribute of rock wool that people don't really understand. As we've done that's history. true. I think I, I have heard that because I mean, it's it's made of rock, so it's, it's kind of like diatomaceous earth in the sense that it, it tears up their exoskeleton. So they can't well, fiberglass. I can't see termites no, fiberglass well, either. So so and Rosinger says this on this, and I, I'm, I've told him a couple times to, to not say that. Okay. <laughs> because I think it's more so that it's inorganic. There's nothing for them to feed off of. Yes. So their mortality rate in our uh, in the test chamber was high because they didn't have anything to eat. They starved to death. Huh. So Risinger got it wrong. Right. Maybe so. And you learned it today. Well, but this <laughs> the one thing, again, this kind of goes back to the, the air filter comment. While the material itself is inorganic and can't get moldy, things that pass through it get yes. trapped in it. And then yes. that gives media to organisms or other things that can then take That's off. True. Right? It's, it's not an antimicrobial product. So it's well, not preventing... It is. It will. It will. Uh, it do, It the product itself doesn't promote or propagate mold or mildew growth. Right. You know, in a cavity setting, you know, if if you know water is there at the bottom, whether it's you know rolls off rock wool or not, you know, and maybe congregates there at the baseboard and the stud, and it starts growing mold or mildew there. You know. That's a whole different scenario, right? Um, so, so, so yes and no. Um, the product itself will promote it, so I, I wouldn't see any any mold or mildew growing within the product itself, right? right. In in a neutral environment, in a neutral yeah. environment. But I don't think it matters what the product is if it's flooded, and let's say you have sewage floating in that water. Even when that dries Correct. up, Correct. you've left material it, on that structure it, it, that's going to cause failure. And, and that, that's why rock wool is, uh, say, if it's a flood, flooded, it's get true. rid of it for yeah. IQ. You know. So how are you competing with foam, spray foam? Because what I think is interesting is okay. rock wool, bad insulation, has a higher performance rating than yeah. foam. But foam sprayed into a cavity, of course, has a better effectiveness. Because it seals the cavity. You know, here's, you know, because I've sold spray foam for years before coming. I've sold all kinds of products like that. So foam, the biggest variable in any foam project is the person spraying it. It's the biggest variable. And so the one problem I have with that industry is, you know, this is a chemical formula that came up into it. It was come up in a lab setting. A lab setting being 70 degrees. Mm-hmm. Now, how often, I mean, in Austin, how often is it 70 degrees? Very rarely. Very rarely. Maybe Very for 30 rarely. minutes. Maybe, maybe yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how often, I mean, it, you know, if it's in our rain season, well, gosh, your moisture content's high. You know, we see, we've seen the wood coming out of the lumber mills now that's wet, it's green, you know. So if they're not taking precautions on the temperature that 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 it is outside, uh, their pressures, stuff like that, then you have more of a likelihood of some kind of issue, whether it be pocketing behind the behind the foam, mm-hmm. uh, which can create a whole another slew of problems, mm-hmm. and so or, or you know peeling off a stud, stuff like that. Those are usually signs. Those are usually signs of either a pressure imbalance or a moisture problem, is my understanding. 
Uh, I thought, it, like, I think the time they sprayed, it was, like, it was during the winter, and it was cold. Yeah. Uh, and I had that problem where they sprayed it, and then after the after it cured, yeah, it started to kind of peel Straight. away from the studs, and yeah. I was like, well, there goes your, your ceiling. Like, you don't, you don't have any... Right. And that's what, you know, so, so yeah, so, so it, it just goes back to that. And so I, that's why um, it, it's just so much variable. Now, a seasoned veteran applicator, he's going to be able to see these things really quick, remedy them, and you'll get a good job and good product. But, you know, and it goes back to vetting our contractors correctly from a builder stance. And so, you know, um uh, you know, because foam can be good. It can be a great product. But at the end of the day, you know, I feel like foam is overused in its air sealing capabilities when this should be something that's done on the exterior, the most continuous layer of our home. And so your air sealing 75% in your home, if that's your air barrier. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's the biggest thing that the people take for granted with spray foam. I went to a building envelope conference one time and the best advice I've ever heard, and it was these Canadians, and they were poking fun but making a joke, and they said, you know, we don't understand how you guys build down here in the U.S. In Canada, we like to wear our sweaters on the outside, but down here in America, you eat your sweaters. (laughs) And it was a reference to, we put our insulation in the middle of the wall. Is that a joke? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I use the same thing, so I say... I say put a koozie on your beer mm-hmm. in the summers and put a sweater on your on you on the, in the winters. Yeah. You know, and so and it can apply to our northern climates. It can apply down here. And I was like, you walk out with a cold coke or a cold beer. Well, guess what's going to happen on this hot sunny day? It's going to condense. You don't think our houses are doing the same? Exactly. Yeah. And so I think continuous insulation is huge. Yeah. And it's going to just continue to grow over time. So. It, it needs to because that that full envelope on the outside. Side, preventing thermal bridging yep. is so critical. Well, it goes that. I mean, that combined with a quality air seal, and that's that's those are two of the key parts that make a comfortable home. Mm-hmm. And you know, when we talk high performance, people, you know, high performance gets a bad rap. Well, it's high performance. I'm not interested. I'm not interested in going crazy here. I'm not a passive house. I'm not interested in going crazy here. Well, high performance, comfort, pest-free homes. Mm-hmm. All go hand in hand. Yeah. The same building practices make a house comfortable. Yep. Makes yep. a house pest free. You know, uh, the one thing I see the most is, you know, the, the sheathing to slab connection. You know, take a piece of Fentrum tape and seal it off. Mm-hmm. Some great stuff. I don't know if y'all have worked with Fentrum, but it's a great product that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a. Uh, Phenomenal and just sealing that layer or, or liquid, you know, a liquid, almost a liquid flash, you know, a Prosico product, sure. you know, something like that to seal that joint right there. It's amazing. Uh, just from that, just keeping bugs out. And so that's a critical juncture, yeah. It is a critical junction. There's multiple ways to kind of, uh, you know, I think now they have a product that uh, goes up on your seal plate to to cap off the capillary action as well as it's almost like a T, so it kind of feels that. interesting, yeah. Well, Michael, it's been an absolute pleasure. I appreciate your time. Um, I'm definitely, I want to include the the link to BS and Beer. Uh, I'd I'd love to see more people get involved, uh, especially the trades. Um, And, and, you know, we'll include links to 
you know, all these resources that you, you pointed out to us about, you know, essentially getting a higher education as a builder. Um, so I, I, I appreciate your time. Uh, very insightful, um, very deep, deep knowledge as far as building science goes. So I, I, I appreciate you coming on. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank I really you very much. It. Yeah. It's been great. We hope you enjoyed this discussion. For more information on upcoming episodes, follow us on Instagram. We want to hear from you, so leave us some feedback to help us shape future episodes.